I would ask you once again to turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 10. Judges, chapter 10. I think you will find once again that the Lord has provided a very relevant message for the day, for the time of year, and for the circumstances we now see. Judges chapter 10. After Abimelech there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shamir at the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shamir. After him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns, which are called Hevoth Jair. To this day, which are in the land of Gilead, and Jair died and was buried in Canaan. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon, from the year that they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, and from the Amorites, and from the people of Ammon, and from the Philistines? Also the Sidonians, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me, and served other gods. Therefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over the inhabitants of Gilead. I'm aware that today is the day that we commonly call Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry, as the headings in your Bible often call it. And the more I study my, my Bible, and the more we come to commonly, the more we come to consider this day and consider its meaning, I find it all the more strange 
that we celebrated as this great, wonderful, glorious event. Because although on a, a, in appearances it has the mark of something that is wonderful and glorious and celebratory, uh, underneath the surface there are empty hearts, there is vain speech, and there is ultimate meaninglessness. When you consider the crowd crying, save now, and that what they wanted it to mean, didn't mean didn't, wasn't the same as what Jesus meant. When you consider what that crowd would cry not very long into the future, crucify him. There's a sadness to Palm Sunday. There's a sadness to that triumphal entry. And the reality is that Jesus presented himself before them as God. Here he was, a plain man, riding on a donkey, the one who would come as a suffering servant. When we all know that the nation of Israel wanted a reigning king, they did not want God as he was. They did not want God as he is. They did not want God as he presented himself to them. Now, that is a theme that goes back to the very beginning of the people of God. We see it here in Judges. We see it in our own hearts, in our own culture, in our own society today. God presents himself in the scripture as objective. I am that I am. And yet we, despite reading, despite studying, despite knowing our, who our God is and how he presents himself and what he says he came to do, we still stray. We still want something different. We still do not want God as he is. The Lord Jesus was there, totally righteous, totally perfect. He really was the deliverer. And yet, despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs. How like that his people are often. But let's examine for a minute this passage, this chapter, the people of God as they're dealing with the, the hardships that are besetting them. Once again, we hear in verse 6 of chapter 10 that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, this is familiar at this point. You know the pattern of judges very well if you've been following along in this series. They're delivered. They cry out to the Lord. They do evil again. And they worship the Baals, the Ashtoreths, the gods of the other nations. The gods that appeal to the flesh. The gods that appeal to the momentary, instant needs. The gods that appeal to materialistic needs. These are the ones that they pursue. These are the ones that they come after. And so, once again, they find themselves in an oppressed state of hardship. This time from the Philistines in the west and the Ammonites in the east. This time there seems to be a heavier dose of oppression upon them, even than what we've seen before. And so we examine some of the ways in which they respond to this hardship and this oppression. Some of the ways that they seek God. And at the same time, when we are in hardship and oppression, when we are in difficulty, when we find ourselves dealing with an unknown, when we find ourselves in a way where we seem lost and things are not sure and things are not as they are supposed to be, how do we cope? How do we deal with that? And who do we turn to? 
Do we turn to the gods of the nations, the gods that we like to create and make up, or do we turn to God as he is, the God of the Bible? We understand both from history and from the scriptures that hardship has always been with us. And yet it's a very common response when someone is in hardship, when someone is dealing with difficulty and tragedy and loss, that our hearts will ask the question, our minds will turn to the thought process of, why me? Why me? This question in and of itself is not sin. The Psalms will ask, why, O Lord? There is lament without answer in the scriptures that sometimes is good, as long as the answer goes back to God. But very often the question comes up, why? Why me? Why am I so oppressed? Why am I in this difficulty? Why does this have to happen in our time? It seems as though I'm being singled out. seems as though we can't, are being singled out. And I'm having difficulty dealing with it. The answer from the scriptures, the biblical answer from the true God, the God who is, is that no one is unaffected by the curse of sin in the world. No one is immune from the ravages of sin. And when you feel like you are being oppressed more than someone else, when you feel that you have it worse than the person next to you or the person across the street, when you're in a situation where you're viewing the grass greener on the other side, know for sure that that is not the case. That everyone, everyone born on this earth, born under the curse of sin of our ancestors, knows the ravages of sin. It may not be the same way as you. It might be more hidden. But no one is immune. Luke chapter 13 is a good passage in order to help us deal with uh, tragedy. I bring up this passage a lot. The Lord Jesus is asked about two incidents. He's asked about Pilate slaughtering some people. And he's asked about a disaster where a tower falls on people and kills them. And he's asked if those people were greater sinners than other people, and that was their punishment, that those things happened to those people. Was it because of something they did? Why them? And the Lord Jesus actually says, no, there was nothing unique about them. No one is immune from that. And unless you repent and turn to God, your fate, because of sin, because of sin in the world, because of the sins you've committed as well as original sin, will be just like that. Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Don't look at somebody else and say, They've got it better than me. Why is this happening to me? No one is immune. Everyone is subject to the curse. So that's the first thing in helping you and processing, coping. We're all in this together. We're all under the same hand. Hardship is not foreign to, to, to certain people as opposed to others. The next question that people often ask in confusion and hardship in oppression is, why do these bad things have to happen? Another question that comes out, why does it have to go this way? 
And you can ask this question of natural disaster. You can ask this of sickness. You can ask this of bankruptcy. You can ask this of death. You can ask this of a, a, a whole slew of difficult things that arise in people's lives. Why do these things have to happen? The Christian, though, the Christian really needs to grasp the absolute evil of sin. I just said that nobody is immune and that it's because of the ravages of sin. Well, when we ask the question, why? We have to really grasp the absolute evil of what that sin is. Sometimes we like to think of sin as a, a mistake on a test, or a foul ball in a game, or, you know, just some, some way that we have messed up and it'll be okay. No, sin is the absolute antithesis of God. God is good, and sin is absolute evil. God can't approach it. God can't look at it. The only right response for sin is judgment and destruction. And so when we ask why do bad things have to happen in the earth, once we understand that the earth is cursed, we have to realize that sin is so absolutely evil and a just God has to respond in appropriateness. As a matter of fact, we actually have our entire perspective backwards. When we ask why do bad things have to happen, we have got it reversed. We really should look at this, understand what sin is, and we should really ask the question, why doesn't God destroy everyone every day? Because that is what sin deserves. Why does sin have to happen? Why do evil things have to happen? Well, sin is on the earth. And that's the result of sin, the curse. And the reason that God doesn't destroy everyone every day is because of his mercy. It's because of who he is. Because of unmerited favor. Because of grace. Because he has provided a way out. Because he has provided someone to take that wrath instead of you. And we'll get to that more in a moment. Why do these things have to happen? You see, the person works in stages when they're dealing and coping with hardship and confusion and difficulty. And very often it amazes me that our culture, our society as a whole, our world that as a whole rejects the biblical God, still has a sense that things need to be put right. The world that rejects the biblical God still seeks salvation. It's looked for by every means attainable. Salvation is looked for in government. Salvation is looked for in medicine. Salvation is looked for in education, in business, in charity. And all these things have their good aspects. But none of these things are God. None of these things are salvation. None of these things provide. They, in the end, are just idolatry. They are the Baals, the Asherahs, the gods of the nations. And you will not find your hope and your salvation in these things. But it's still sought for, it's still looked for, it's still craved, it's still desires, desired. And that's where Israel, that's where we come back to Israel here in chapter 10. They don't just stop worshiping God and live in a vacuum with no sense of importance to anything. They turn to something as an idol. They turn to another god. 
And they say, this is what will provide. This is what will help me. This is what will get me what I want. They're still looking for salvation, but in the law, in the wrong place. And ultimately... Israel has ignored the Lord's truth. They've ignored God's commands. They've ignored his destruction and have ended up, because of that, in the familiar place of distress and oppression at this point. Once again, we're dealing with years that have passed since the last oppression. Generations do forget. And they didn't have documentaries and newsreel footage or even books that were commonly available to remind them of history. They required, they relied on people reminding them through oral teaching of what had happened historically in the past. But they shouldn't have needed that anyway. They should have remembered the law of God. They had the law of God written and that should have been obeyed. And they disobeyed the the Lord's truth. It came to the point where they were now looking for the true God as a means of last resort. It comes to the point now, verse 10, where they finally do recognize they need the Savior, that there is a problem here, and they have to turn to the Lord. And someone probably remembers once again the pattern of how they have turned to God and God delivered them. And so, they seek Him as the Savior. Now, I really hate it when people say, when all else fails, pray. Because that's completely wrong and completely backwards. God is the first place, and God is the best place to turn. One should be speaking to him before anything comes about, before anything fails. You should be praying, it should be in communion with him. Israel, like us, seeks God as a last resort and approaches him like a machine. They approach God like something of a vending machine. If I do this and press the button, I'll get the candy bar. If I do this, God will respond. It worked in the past. It'll work now. After all, isn't he God? Isn't helping me what he's in the business of? Isn't that what he does? When I do this, he gives that. And what we learn from this passage, and what we learn from the gospel, is that that's not how it works. That is not God. God is not here to serve your whims, your desires, and to be your personal little genie. God is not here to be what your idol was. And God is not here to be your vending machine. You live for him. He doesn't exist for you. And that is how the people thought of the Lord Jesus at the triumphal entry. They saw him as the deliverer who was going to solve their problems. And they thought of their problems as temporal and as material and as political. They sought him wrongly. And what happened was that they were disappointed by him. They were disappointed by the suffering Savior, by the suffering servant. They were disappointed by the God who is. And here in Judges chapter 10, you find that this group of Israelites is also disappointed. They're disappointed by God 
In verse 11, what does he say? He says, So the Lord said to the children, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, from the Ammonites, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from the Sidonians, from the Amalekites, from the Amanites? They oppressed you, you cried out to me, and I delivered you. But you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Guess what? You had my word, you had my instruction, you abandoned it. Now you think I'm going to respond just because you're pressing the right button? It doesn't work that way. You're disappointed with that? Perhaps you are disappointed by God because you want something, and he's not delivered that. The disappointment comes when he himself is just not enough for you. Why was the Lord Jesus not enough for the crowd? There he was, in their midst. They didn't want him as he was. They wanted something else. They wanted their own thing. Why is the Lord Jesus not enough for you? If you're disappointed with God, where does that disappointment come from? He has given himself. He's given his son. He's given you everlasting life. He's given you his presence. He's given you assurance. He's given you peace. He shed his blood for you. The message of the gospel is that you lose everything on this earth. And I mean everything. Health, family, home, money, everything. And yet you still have God. That is where your heart's contentment needs to be. Now, I know that sounds bizarre. And that's a very difficult thing to swallow and absorb and apply. But that is when we cease to be disappointed with God, when we are totally satisfied with Him, with the God who is. You see, this God who is, this God of the Scriptures, this objective God, He offers Himself as the way of life. People naturally choose the opposite. People naturally choose a way of death. Choose other gods that cannot save. They'd rather find comfort in their family members, their business, their friends, their money. They'd rather find comfort in these things which cannot save and cannot provide. Well, that's the way of death, not the way of life. The way of death is unbelief. The way of death is turning from God and trying everything else to fulfill and make you happy when it just won't work. There is no security in that. There is no protection in that. There's no joy in that. There is only empty hope that ends in loss and ends in destruction. Our hearts crave the way of death and yet are perpetually Disappointed by it because it cannot deliver. And there is sorrow and mourning. But the way of life is according to the objective God of the Bible, who is. The way of life goes hand in hand with the verse you have at the top of your outline below this video and in your email, which comes from Isaiah 45:22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. That's the way of life. The way of life requires an acceptance of the God who is, an acceptance of his gospel, an acceptance of his word.
In verse 15, we see that they finally come to that acceptance. After the disappointment, after the hardship, after the sorrow, there is the realization. And they finally say something of worth and of substance. Not like the, one, the repentance in chapter 10, which was empty and vain according to their own desires. But now we have them saying, we have sinned. Do to us what seems best to you. See, there's the acceptance. Acceptance of who God is and who you are. The acceptance that says, I have no right to protest anything that happens to me. I accept all as simply what I deserve. I accept it. I accept that God is in control, and I accept that the curse of sin is on this earth, and it's all too good for me. I accept Him. I accept His sovereignty. I accept the God who is. And with that acceptance is repentance. And I turn to Him. I turn to the mercy of the Lord and repent. I turn away from myself. I turn away from my own desires. I turn away from my sin. And I turn to Him and His Word. I turn to the God who is. And that's what you see them doing here. Whatever seems best to you, do to us. Only deliver us this day, we pray. May you be our deliverer. May your way be our way. May your way be our life. For that deliverance is in Christ alone. God has given you the Word, the Son, the Logos. God has given you the Savior, the Deliverer. He is your only salvation. He is your only way. He is your only truth. He is your only life. When they cried out on Palm Sunday, save now, they were looking for a political salvation which was pathetic and stupid compared to the salvation that Christ himself would offer them on the cross. Deliverance came through him and they rejected that deliverance. There is no other option that is real other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else is eternal. Nothing else will last. Nothing else will raise you from the dead. Nothing else will give you life. He came and he died for you. His suffering took all the wrath of God spiritually on you. You know how we said, you know what you deserve, and you accept what you deserve? Well, guess what? Christ took all that you deserve on himself. All the wrath of God, all the punishment, all the trouble, all the turmoil, all the horror. And if you think things on this earth are bad, you have no idea what Christ suffered for you to pay for your sin. He took all of hell upon him, and we cannot even fathom the horror of that. But he took that so you do not have to. He took that so that you do not have to die. He took that so that you could have deliverance, and the deliverance would be through him and in him alone. He is God's answer to your questions. Why did this have to happen? He is God's answers to the why. He is God's answer to the how. He is God's answer to your hardship. He is your salvation. And He is your joy and your protection in your life. Behold your King. Behold your God. Not as you want him to be, not as you think he should be, but as he is, as you find him in the scriptures. Behold your king. He may not be to your taste, but your taste is wrong. And he is all you have.
Behold your God. Embrace him. Know him. Love on him. Love him. And live. 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 Because of him. Look at me and live. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. I implore you, as a minister of this gospel, as a minister of this God of the Bible, as a minister of the God who is, not the God you want, not the God you pretend exists, but the God who is, I implore you to seek him. You'll find him in the word. I implore you to accept him, to repent, to believe on him, and to live and know his glory, know his everlasting salvation, and know life eternal. No hardship, no punishment, no famine, no pestilence, no sickness, no loss will ever have lasting effect on you when you look to him and be saved, all you ends of the earth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Behold your King, behold your God. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, apply these truths to us. Help us to see our own weakness, our own failure. Help us to recognize that we are all under the curse of sin. And we all get what we deserve, but Christ is the way out. Christ is the deliverer. Christ is the God who is. We pray that we would embrace him totally and fully. And we pray that you would work in us to do that, to walk with him, to desire him, and to love him. May no one, under the sound of my voice, click the X to turn off this video without embracing him and believing on him. Trust him now. Bring him into your life. Make him your strength and your eternity. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.